Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about America at the crossroads, spending blowout, but peasants get pittance, election battle update, and pondering America over Christmas. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello again, and welcome to my show, America Can We Talk, and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm gonna do a very brief first five today. I call it America at the crossroads, the crossroads. I just wanna say this about where we are in America. Here we are in December, 2020. We're a few days away from Christmas. Many people in America and literally around the world are watching how America is resolving our election situation, how we're resolving the challenges we see, we are finding in America's electoral system with what has now become publicly known rampant election fraud. And we've talked about many times, election fraud, a lot of electronic manipulation and vote fraud, just an overwhelming scope in this election cycle. And yet seeming to have succeeded in that there are many networks that called the election for uh, Biden that night or the next day. as we catapulted forward over the last few weeks, we've seen more people come out saying, well, you know, not sure President Trump ought to be challenging this, even as the evidence of fraud mounts. And even as the world has now been able, everyone honest and willing to understand the situation, has been able to see just one county in America, Antrim County, Michigan, their voting machines, Dominion voting machines, have been analyzed by a top national firm based here in Dallas, Texas, ASOG, Allied Securities Operation Group, and found such rampant, overwhelming impropriety that they concluded their examination, their forensic analysis of those machines with a statement, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing this statement, the system itself, the system itself appears designed to manipulate the election outcome designed to permit and in fact effectuate cheating my words not theirs exactly many many details not reported it's available on our website americanwetalk.org but we're at a crossroads really for two basic things i want to talk about today number one do we have the backbone as americans to insist on the truth coming out about the election of 2020 or are we going to allow, and it's kind of like adult peer pressure, but allow uh, pundits, alleged experts, simply force on America and on our ruling class and on the courts, the decision that it's all over, we should move on, no reason to dig in and find out the truth. That's the first kind of question we have, the big, you know, the crossroads where we are. The second big crossroads question is whether or not enough Americans understand the very idea of America, the unique and extraordinary greatness of America, and do we understand it well enough and value it enough to fight for it? Because where we are in 2020, as we'll talk about the end of the show, my last segment today, we'll talk about how truly 
perilous our situation is in America in terms not just of whether the person who is sworn in on January 20th, 21, has an R or a D by their name, but the question of whether or not we Americans value the unique greatness of America enough to fight for it and to fight against the forces, the Marxist forces in this country that are literally taking over America as we speak. Those are the questions for us to look at as Americans. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I mentioned at the start of the show, I call it running through my topics, how you want to talk about. We're going to talk about the um, spending blowout, and I call it peasants get pittance. You know, there was, there were negotiations throughout uh, the last couple of months between President Trump and the Democrat-controlled Congress, Nancy Pelosi, about please let's get more money to people directly in America, people who are hurting economically because their businesses are shut down, their jobs are gone, they have lost their homes, they can't pay their mortgages, they can't pay their rent, they're concerned about food on the table. Can we please get more money from Washington, from the federal government, to the American people directly to help them, to small businesses, to businesses being impacted by the completely unnecessary shutdown of our country in response to COVID and individual families, families who are literally struggling to get close to Christmas season, you know, tugs at our heartstrings. And so we had President Trump making an offer uh, several months ago to Nancy Pelosi saying essentially, I would go for $2,500 a person. He's saying, I'm willing to help the people. I want to help the people. Now, as you've heard me, if you listen to the show very often, you know, I've been saying the better solution is to have the government at the federal level signal the lifting of the necessity, the lack of necessity for massive shutdowns, economic shutdowns, limitations on the freedom of the American citizens based on COVID, so that all of the regulation that is keeping businesses shut down, which is mostly flowing from city councils, mayors, and governors, can be lifted because the federal government signaling it's okay, we can, we can let this go, we're, we're doing okay, we're, we're going to be okay. I'd rather have the regulation lifted and the economy naturally, the free market economy naturally spring back. But given where we are, we're still struggling to get the, regula the uh, just draconian regulation limiting America's freedom, struggling to get those, limited, those uh, limitations lifted. But until then, trying to get something in the hands of the American people. So what happened over the weekend, likely or last few days actually, uh, was that the... Um, government, the Congress, uh, actually came to a deal. And I want to talk at first just a tiny bit about the, the, you know, the deal to help people. Uh, I want to talk to you about what happens to people in Congress who dare speak up and, and question contents of the deal, uh, question what happens. But the overall uh, situation, which I want to be sure we just start with, is you had the Congress pass, the, the House passed uh, this bill, um, and I had the numbers here. I'm trying to find the right, not the right sheet in front of me, but you know, it was the House overwhelmingly passed this bill uh, in two segments that, yeah, they, they had two part segment. The House passed the bill um, on Monday. And so they, they actually divided it in two parts. They had part one was defense, commerce, justice, science, homeland security, and financial services. So the House passed that bill on Monday, that portion, that part one and part two, uh, which was uh, eight spending bills, including the COVID relief bill. The point is, instead of passing a standalone bill to get money to people suffering from COVID, which is what Trump was trying to offer, 
the and, and turned down by Pelosi and the Democrat-controlled House will not allow this. So you had finally the COVID relief folded into the the enormous, massive spending bill. And in this enormous, massive spending bill, passed overwhelmingly, you know, you had, uh, it's like $600 uh, versus the $2,500 Trump was offering, $600 per person, I think if they earn less than $75,000 a year. So they, they bundled together, you know, it's a legislative, um, and uh, I'll get to the size of the bill in a moment, but the basic thing, they, the aid package, $600 in direct payments to most Americans, which is if you earn 75,000 or less, uh, $300 per week enhanced federal unemployment benefits until March 14th. Uh, and, and so uh, money for businesses, loans to businesses through the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. The point is in this massive spending bill, they stuck in a part two, the COVID relief bill, you know, a, a pittance as compared with what Trump offered and, a, and, and just a, 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 a Sounds like an oxymoron, a gigantic pittance, but I mean a, a, a tiny amount compared with the massive spending bill. And, um, and even it's a small amount, the $600, only half as generous as the previous payments distributed, distributed under the CARES Act in the spring, which was at $1,200, uh, and, and now we're only doing $600. And I'm getting to the point that in every way, the idea in Washington of trying to help the American citizens who are suffering because of COVID lockdowns, unnecessary COVID lockdowns and restrictions on business, even with this kind of actually people hurting, need food on the table, can't quite cover their mortgage and their, and their, or their rent, even with that, you had the federal government playing games with the spending would not could not possibly stand to have the, that second payment go out to the american people while while the campaign was ongoing lo and behold just in case trump got some credit for it so lo and behold you know the election um which is not over but the election has happened on november 3rd the outcome is not yet known but now they're willing to do the money so that, that's the first part of it that just this you know this um it's impossibly enormous amount of money uh, being spent, which we don't have. I mean, we, America is already deeply in debt. And so the answer to being deeply in debt, the answer from Congress was, okay, but we're going to just spend just a massive amount more money. To, be, um, to tell you, this bill was nearly 5,600 pages long, 5,600 pages long, so heavy, obviously no one could lift it. They had to move it through Congress in this massive, you know, through the halls of Congress to get it distributed to people um, you know, on a large, like a, like a wagon type thing you would use to move heavy furniture. The bill was that big. And members of the House and Senate had virtually no time to read it. They literally got the bill, here it is, you know, up or down, yes or no. And, and the Senate had even less time, so the House passed it, it goes flying over, the Senate passed it. Now it's headed up to President Trump. And so you have this, this bill pending before President Trump, as I said, 5,600 pages long, uh, and the massive spending bill is basically 900 billion, as in boy, uh, B as in boy, billion relief measure designed uh, to provide assistance to the American people. Um, it also was a, the massive, the whole bill, the massive bill, everything they're spending, there's this whole big spending bill, was at 2.3 trillion, 2.3 trillion. I mean, I, these numbers, I know every time we talk about numbers in the show, it's very hard to even picture that. 22.3 trillion dollars. And so it's a massive spending bill. 
But even if, if the spending were, you know, about America, mostly about America, you say, well, okay, man, it's not so bad. So I'm going to tell you just some of the things that are in there, because this is why you have Americans so frustrated with Washington. You have in there, as an example, un, you know, obviously COVID relief was stuck in this bill at the levels that it was because that was a negotiated piece between uh, the parties and between the House and the Senate. So they got to this, okay, give, give the little people peasants, you know, $600, that's enough for them, what do they need it for? And yet the, the things that we spent money on, Kennedy Center gets $26 million more dollars, Smithsonian a billion, B as in boy billion for the Smithsonian, National Art Gallery $154 million, but then foreign country aid, 1.3 billion to Egypt, 700 million to the Sudan, 453 million to Ukraine. But even on top of that, I mean, and so there's just massive money pouring out of America's coffers, not by the way, going to anything to help the American people. To be clear, taxpayers are the ones who foot these bills eventually. And taxpayers pay money to Washington expecting mostly that Washington is going to use that money wisely to take care of the needs of the American people. So you had a, a tiny a pittance to the, to the American people while you have all this massive spending uh, on, on all sorts of things. I want to run through some of the other spending because it, it's kind of staggering. Um, you had, for example, um, 169 I have to like count the zeros here. 169 million to Vietnam, including 19 million to remediate dioxins, 198 million to Bangladesh, um, including some of it to support Burmese refugees and for democracy programs. Uh, you had to Pakistan, 15 million for democracy programs and $10 million of your tax dollars, 10 million to Pakistan for gender programs. Sri Lanka, 15 million for the re refurbishing of a high endurance cutter, which is a type of patrol boat. America is funding the world, funding all of these countries, massive amounts of money, and with, with no notion, no notion of whether or not, no, no seeming contemplation at all of whether or not, who pays for this? We're already in debt. We're spending 2.3 trillion. I mean, I could spend the rest of the show running through all of the absurd amounts of money being spent around the world. But what I really want to get to my point in this segment is not just that we spend way too much money. We spend almost nothing helping the citizens of America. And basically it comes out to almost nothing, especially given that the problems, the struggles that the American people are suffering is directly due to the conduct of individuals in Washington who set the tone, who permit the ongoing tone of Fauci and his tribe and his gang saying that America needs to be deeply afraid about COVID and we're going to, we have to just be shutting everything down. We can't allow life back to normal. We can't allow the economy to come back. We can't allow people to work. We can't allow them to live their lives. We can't allow to have fact, can't be, have factories open. And so all this messaging from Fauci and his team, you know, trickles down to the governors and the mayors and the county officials and, and you know, all over our country making regulations, keeping people frozen in place. And therefore we have to pay more money in tax dollars because of the problem the government created. 
And I know a lot of people in Washington are saying, well, you can't really blame Washington for all of these shutdowns because after all, you know, Washington didn't do it. Trump didn't do it. You know, this is all falls on the governors and the county officials. Actually, the ones I blame, Fauci, Burks, the whole team at the NIH and CDC who continue to perpetuate the myth that COVID is such a lethal, you know, bubonic plague type thing that we must freeze in place until they've figured out a vaccine that we all can be forced to take. It is that communication, that decision by people at that level in Washington and at the federal level that drives the governors, the mayors, the county officials to say, well, well we're really afraid, so we better keep everything shut down so that people can't go to work, so they can't get a paycheck, so they can't function, so they need more money from the government. This is a government-created problem. But back to what they, so they spent a fortune, but I want to hit something else because, you know, there are all sorts of ways in which we in America have, um, you know, we have some say about this. We have members of Congress, people run for Congress, run for the Senate, and, oh, by the way, I had the numbers. Basically, everybody in the House voted for this. In the House, just to have, make sure I have the numbers, in the House, we had um, 327 voted in favor of this massive you know, spending uh, blowout. So that means 85 voted no. Um, and and the, on part one, and then part two, and very similar numbers, uh, 359 House members voted yes, 53 voted no. So basically, everybody, House and Senate, including many Republicans, voted for it. And I'm going to tell you about one reason why. So COVID relief obviously was a huge piece of this for the media. It was a minor piece. It was a minuscule piece of the grand spending, but it was the piece that got the most media attention. So in the, on the Senate side, six senators were brave enough to say, we're not voting for this. This is a massive blowout. We're not voting for this. For this those six senators, um, two of them are our Texas State Senator Cruz, and another one is the um, Republican Senator from Florida, Rick Scott. And so the other, so, so the six senators who voted no on this massive bill were Rand Paul, Marsha Blackburn, Ron Johnson, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, and I just said Rick Scott. So those six people, so the vote in the Senate was 94 to 6. But I want to tell you just briefly what happens if you dare to stand up and say, not voting for this crazy, not voting for this spending you know, extravaganza while Americans are suffering, while we don't have, our economy is struggling, while we don't have people back to work. So here's what happens to Ted Cruz. This is obviously my state, so I'm a little more focused on our news. I'm gonna guarantee you all six senators who voted against this have liberal news outlets in their states pummeling them for voting no. So here, Ted Cruz, this is a caption. This is an actual headline from a, a, a Houston news source. It says, Senator Ted Cruz votes against pandemic relief package, comma, cites taxpayer money waste. So this headline, this liar who wrote this article, captions it by saying, Ted Cruz was unwilling to vote for a pandemic relief package. And that they're obviously saying Cruz is, is you know, citing taxpayer money waste. Like they're, they're implying that Ted Cruz views pandemic relief as a waste of taxpayers' money. Well, I'm sorry, you, know, you listening to this show, I can read this and realize this is idiotic, this is a lie. I mean, Cruz is talking about the massive spending that's in this bill 
But what happens to you if you dare vote no on something, on anything, is you get in Congress or the Senate, you get pummeled by the media where it matters to you. So Houston voters see this caption. If they don't read, which is sadly too many Americans, they go, wow, Ted Cruz is a mean Republican. He voted against taxpayer money for pandemic relief. I mean, it's absurd. And I read the whole article, to be clear, read the whole article. Nowhere in the article does it say, oh, and by the way, it was part of a 2.3 trillion dollar spending package. Never mention that. They just talk about, you know, this is a small little pittance for the poor peasants and uh, Ted Cruz is such a mean guy, he wouldn't, uh, wouldn't vote for it. I mean, just, just absurd. So that happens to him. He has, by the way, Ted Cruz has a great statement on his website. You can read it on um, my website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links. I put a link to his website. Ted Cruz explains why he had to vote no on this because it is a crazy irresponsible spending bill but also rick scott had a great piece out it's quickly mentioned he voted against it and what happens to you when you try to stand up to this monolithic ruling class elite in washington they cook up this massive spending bill no one you think the the house members in the senate and the members of senate are, are, you know, the ruling class, they're not even, they're, they're kind of like the peasants as compared with the ruling class, the, the head of the GOP, the head of the Democrats, they cook up the deal. You're sitting in the House or the Senate and you have, you know, whatever it is, not even 12 hours to read a bill that's 6,000 pages long or whatever it is, 5,600 pages long. So you have two hours to look at it. You're told yes or no. And in the back of your head, you're going, well, you know, if I dare vote no, and then COVID relief is in here, I'm going to get pummeled. This is what happens to noble, moral people in Washington, people who want to stand up. It, it, they make it virtually impossible. So here you have Rick Scott. He did tweet out, at least, I supported and fought for many of the COVID provisions in last night's bill. Unfortunately, they were attached to an omnibus spending bill that was thousands of pages long and chock full of handouts to special interests and wasteful spending. I couldn't support it. And people, I could spend the rest of the show running through the litany of the amazingly unnecessary items that get stuck into a spending bill like this. Uh, amazingly unnecessary, just ridiculous, Not, nothing you would spend. If you try to reduce it down to your family's budget and you know things are tight this year and once you pay your rent or your mortgage and once you pay, make your car payment and your insurance payments and you got to take care of the kids, whatever they need, you know you have this much left or maybe you have nothing left, you make a budget to deal with that. That's what families do. That's what small businesses do. That's what most Americans are forced to do. But the mentality has taken hold in Congress. Literally, I don't mean the last four years or eight years. I'm talking, you know, decades where in the back of their heads, the members of Congress and the senators are picturing the headlines in their home newspaper. Congressman so-and-so votes against, you know, happy children or some other stupid headline. And to them, 
They understand it seems like, well, no one's really going to be hurt by this. We're just going to keep spending money. I know we don't have it and we aren't going to collect it in revenues and we're not going to collect it in taxes, but somehow it'll just, you know, we'll just keep spending because there's this magical, you know, bottomless money pit that we own. We, the government owns, and so we'll just somehow find more money and keep paying for things and keep paying for things. And anyone who won't, anyone who stands up, is then treated as an outcast, a pariah, someone who would be just so cruel as to vote against, you know, happy children or some other name they give to any bill they have. And so the, the, the debt goes on and on. But I'm, the point of the, the, in this show today is just really talking about how the, the, you know, would you always teach your children when they're going up, growing up, you know, don't follow the crowd, don't be pushed around by peer pressure, think for yourselves, reason for yourselves. But you get up to Congress, this is adult peer pressure. This is adult peer pressure on members of Congress and senators because in our great state of Texas, for example, we have Senator Cruz voted no, but our other Senator John Cornyn voted yes. Same as in Florida, Senator Rick Scott puts out the statement I read, he votes no. Senator Marco Rubio, you know, go along to get along. Or the other argument is, the only way I can get relief to the citizens of Florida who need it because they're suffering, because, suffering because of COVID shutdown, is to sign this bill. So I'm forced to sign this bill to go to vote yes in order to get that relief to them. And I'm just, I'm tolerating the rest of the spending. But the, the overwhelming pressure on members of the House and Senate is just to keep spending with the justification in the back of their head, well, I had to vote yes because, you know, this one piece in there was so necessary. But what if all of them banded together and said no? What if the majority of the Republicans in the House and Senate said no? to bills like this. Now, I understand we're up against a deadline. We have a spending uh, responsibilities. We had, I understand they, they had to get moving uh, on the spending bills. I understand that was there. But the pressure, the, the side that always seems to win in America versus the fiscal conservatives versus those who just say, just keep spending funny money, made up money, keep growing our debt, the grow our debt and just keep spending side always wins. And the few who ever say, I'd like to talk a little bit about fiscal responsibility are the mean people, the, the, the naysayers, the ones who are criticized. It's a very tough thing. They end up, they voted, they gave COVID relief. Very troubling. Uh, there are other stories I was going to share with you, but I want to go on my other topics. There are just, I'll probably be spending some time over the next few weeks pointing out other impossibly ridiculous things that were in the spending bill, but again, it's, it's going to starve me away from, or keep, I can't do it today. It's going to keep me what I really want to talk about for the rest of the show, which kind of ties back to America at the brink. So next topic I talked, I want to talk about is election battle update. I just want to give you, you know, we are, here we are on December 20, what is it, 22nd, Tuesday the 22nd, and we're looking at a situation where we've had Electoral College, they, you know, and, you know, six, the big six states were worried about. Those six states have all, you know, kind of thrown in, say, okay, fine, fine, we're going to call it for Biden, even though, they're all aware and growingly aware of massive election fraud. They're trying to tamp it down, ignore it. Uh, in Arizona, as I mentioned yesterday, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors is trying to just bulldoze the state senator who is saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, I subpoenaed your voting machines. I subpoenaed your ballots. We want to see them. 
and the board of supervisors is saying, no, you can't see them. This kind of thing's happening, or things like that story, happening all over the country. The people who want to just tamp down the, or shut down the effort to, un, to get to the truth of what happened in our election, the people pursuing truth are being shut down by the bulldozing class of America who are just saying, it doesn't really matter. You know, we're done talking about it. Biden won. The end. Let's go. Let's roll forward. And you have people who are also standing up saying, no, actually, uh, you know, it doesn't. I don't think Biden won. It doesn't seem like he won and, and certainly doesn't seem like we had a fair election and we want true results. So I want to send you um, a, a tell you a couple quick things uh, that came out. One was uh, in the state of Georgia, uh, one of the um, I have too many stories here today, uh, but the state of Georgia actually had their uh, Senate committee. Um, they, uh, Georgia State Senator William Ligon, like old Ligon, I don't know how to say it. He's chairman of the election law subcommittee in the Georgia State Senate, and they have completed their review of the recount process, and they and their audit process. They've so they've. Re- re- completed their review in the state of Georgia, the recount process, the audit process, current investigation and litigation. And his subcommittee also heard testimony from witnesses in the hearing uh, at the Georgia Capitol on December 3rd. And their findings are, and they're very, so they made a bunch of findings and including that the State Farm Arena, which is the voting location in Georgia where that video we showed in this show and many other shows showed where they had once everyone's told, go home, we stop counting for the night. And once everyone thinks everyone's gone, cameras are rolling, people are pulling out suitcases of ballots from under tables and running them through the counters. That was a State Farm Arena um, issue. So they found the events at the State Farm Arena particularly disturbing. They demonstrated intent on the part of the election workers to exclude the public from viewing the counting of ballots, an intentional disregard for the law, the number of votes that could have been counted in that length of time was sufficient to change the results of the presidential election and the senatorial contest. Furthermore, there appears to have been coordinated illegal activities by election workers themselves who purposely placed fraudulent ballots in the final election totals. Georgia Senate Committee also went on to find Georgia election officials failed to enforce the state's election rules. They failed to to provide adequate transparency during the signature process. I mean, they went through all the failures of the Georgia Secretary of State, on and on and on, make a report. The chairman concludes that to rectify the questionable results of this election, they recommend the Georgia legislature carefully consider rescinding the certification of the election if a majority, and this is his statement, if a, the majority of the General Assembly concurs with the findings of this report, the certification of the election should be rescinded and the General Assembly should act to determine the proper electors to be certified to the Electoral College in the 2020 presidential race. So Georgia has some elements of the state government awake enough to say this was massive fraud down here. So George is pursuing that. Um, I also want to mention that President Trump, I uh, mentioned yesterday that he had litigation uh, before now before the Supreme Court directly. And in, in this, uh, what uh, the Trump campaign has in front of the Supreme Court is challenging the Pennsylvania election results. And oh, the reason I wanted to go in this is because I you know, I, I understand there's, I say, master fraud, master fraud, all these, all these different, you know, terms. But I want to point out the specific kinds of things that the um, Georgia, um, uh, that the Pennsylvania case involves, what Trump is challenging. 
The Trump campaign's petition seeks to reverse three decisions which eviscerated the Pennsylvania legislature's protections against mail ballot fraud. So in this case, he's particularly going after the conduct uh, that eviscerated or destroyed uh, the Pennsylvania legislature's protections against mail and ballot fraud. So he's, they're challenging uh, the decision uh, to prohibit election officials checking whether signatures on mail ballots are genuine during canvassing. Uh, that'd be pretty basic. Eliminating the right of campaigns to challenge mail ballots during canvassing for forged signatures, uh, of which was allegedly uh, you know, massive in this, in this election, and holding that the rights of campaigns to observe the canvassing of mail ballots only meant, this is what happened in Pennsylvania, the rights of campaigns to observe the canvassing of mail ballots only meant that they were allowed to be in the room, in the room in quotes. In this case, the Pennsylvania Convention Center, which is the size of several football fields. Very specific challenges in, in Pennsylvania. So I want you to know that there, there are many things going on, but this is a great example of the Trump campaign going after the, the real wrongdoing inside, uh, inside the Pennsylvania elections. Um, I have a, um, a clip that is from Lynn Wood, and you may know that name. He did a really good job explaining something that I, I want to just quickly uh, get to, because in this segment we're talking about you know, essentially where we are in the election process and this election uh, battle right now. So Lynn Wood was basically asked to explain the difference between what are the Trump lawyers doing, Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, and what is he, Lynn Wood, and other people doing, uh, Sidney Powell in particular, who are not part of the Trump official team. I sent that to Matt the Wonderful. I want him to play this clip by Lynn Wood. This is not just another election that we're going to get through and move on with business as usual. This country's fabric is being torn apart. That document, the Constitution, has survived us and served us, and it's going to have to survive if we're going to survive with our freedoms intact. Best explanation I could give you would be that you have lawsuits filed on behalf of President Trump and his campaign. And I think those lawsuits go more to uh, election irregularities so that they're looking for procedural problems in the election. Then you have the lawsuits filed uh, by Sidney Powell. Those lawsuits pick up a little of both, pr the procedural problems, uh, but primarily focus on the massive evidence of fraud that permeated the election, both in the mail-in ballots and in the computer voting machines and the software. Then you have the, what you refer to as We the People lawsuits. Those are a couple of lawsuits that I filed in my name uh, because I did not see anyone in the Republican Party uh, or anyone really in the Trump campaign that seemed to want to focus on what I believe was a serious problem in the Georgia election. So I brought those lawsuits on uh, behalf of myself, but I view those as we the people. I'm a voter. Okay. I thought that was important to understand because there's so much talk and headlines and, and uh, accusations and just statements about who's involved. And I thought it was a really good summary of the two kind of lawyer teams working with um, helping to support President Trump. I've mentioned also, and I'm, you likely know if you're following all of this, that the next kind of beyond what may occur in result, as a result of some of the pieces of litigation, the next phase or step is what happens in Congress on January 6th. On January 6th, there is a very formal meeting in Congress, the Congressional Conference, on 
accepting the electors, or it's accepting electoral college, but accepting the electors who voted at the electoral college on December 14th. That's the next phase of possibly challenging this election outcome. That challenge, yeah, what has, so what happens, all the elect electors, uh, the what electoral college met, their, their votes of the electors are shipped off to Washington. January 6th, we have this in Washington where we have uh, the, the House and Senate meeting in joint session uh, governed by the vice president, so it's uh, Vice President Pence, and they are open the electoral votes of each state. We've been through this before. We already know Mo Brooks in the House is now talking that he may, um, he is going to challenge some of the electors in some of these states with obvious massive voter fraud. But one little update, President Trump met in the White House uh, yesterday, I guess, uh, with several Republican lawmakers um, who basically trying to talk to them about, you know, challenging on January 6th in the Congress, challenging what the left is trying to do. And he uh, apparently uh, Congressman Go uh, Louis Gohmert was there, who was unsurprising. Of course, he would be there. Uh, Matt Gates uh, Mo and Mo Brooks and others basically getting the pitch from the president. We think that, you know, you, you need to challenge these electors. This is a stolen election. It's you, unless you live under a rock or a cave or in a cave, or unless you just don't want to hear it and don't want your, uh, your joy at a Biden victory to be interfered with, unless you're just ducking everybody, every sentient American, every American understands there was massive election fraud. Whether it was sufficient to overturn, uh, to change the outcome in some state, whether it was sufficient so that, you know, in, in two, three, four, five, or six of the, of the states we're talking about, that they all would have gone the other way. I mean, you can't know that unless you're willing to examine the evidence. So when you hear people saying, and you do hear people saying this, uh, you know, there, there was uh, some fraud, oh, there always is in every election, if they're not willing to look into it, if they're not willing to support the efforts to dig in and find out what exactly the answer was, they're willing to accept election fraud and they're willing to partake and participate in it. That's how the members of the House and Senate should think of themselves. They're participating in perpetuating an election fraud unless they challenge it. There was also apparently a tweet, someone texted me right before we started talking to, we started the show today, uh, saying it appears uh, that President um, Trump is thinking the uh, new senator, uh, Tommy uh, Tuberville, I believe his name is, um, is that how you say it? Whatever you say his name, Tuberville, uh, is apparently going to be one of the Senate challenges, senators challenging uh, some of the electors coming from states with massive election fraud and nobody will look into it. Nobody wants to understand it. They just want to pretend, you know, sweep it under the rug, call it for the electors and move forward. So Tommy Tuberville uh, in the House and Mo Brooks, I don't know yet of, of other I understand there are between six and eight senators, between six and eight senators who are contemplating challenging the electors. I certainly hope that's true. I, on the House side, I know that there are a few, the Mo Brooks and a few others. So you may have, you may have actual challenges on that day. And then once those challenges are made, so the electors are not accepted, uh, then the House and Senate go back and dig in. And that's another opportunity to begin presenting the information to them so they can understand why these electors should not be accepted. 
I don't want anyone to tune into my show and think, you know, I'm coming to listen to Debbie because this is where I always hear everything's going to be okay, Trump's going to win. I, I, you know what? I have felt in my heart that America will get to the answer consistent with truth. That's what I think. I think ultimately America will get to the answer consistent with truth. I think Trump won this election in a landslide. I think Trump won, Trump won you know, certainly 75 million votes, maybe more. People are saying 80 million. I think Trump won this election in a landslide. And I think that millions of Americans know this. They know what happened. They, they are, fortunately for us, we have Lynn Wood, we have Sidney Powell, we have the president's attorneys, Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. We have other advocates in the conservative community speaking up. Americans are aware that there was massive fraud. I truly want the answer to be that America gets to the truth. But I don't want you to listen to the show and walk away with the conclusion, that's okay, uh, I got it, Debbie said Trump's gonna win. Uh, you know what, I, he should win, he did win, he should win, and there should be the right people and the right, at the right time in the processes we have in this country, stepping up for truth. That is what we need. We need congressmen, senators stepping up for truth, demanding that we don't accept fraudulent electors, electors appointed as a response or as the outcome of a fraudulent election. That's what we need in this country. So President Trump is working. God bless that man for fighting. He fights and fights. He's trying to uh, encourage some of the Republicans. A uh, last quick thing I'll say in this section, because I do want to hit one of the really, really important, uh, kind of my closing thing before Christmas. But there was a piece um, that a, a, an article put out, or a column rather, put out by Newt Gingrich. And, um, you know, he is a, uh, as you know, he was the architect of the contract with America. Uh, he was a very powerful figure in the Republican circles. Um, he is no longer in Congress um, and he's uh, not in government. But he wrote a piece uh, that was published at the Washington Times. And again, it's linked on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. And it's called, Why I Will Not Accept Joe Biden as President. Why I Will Not Accept Joe Biden as President. And I really, really urge you to read it because it goes deeper than just, uh, you know, like to run through the election fraud, like to the examples, I hear litigation. He's talking in, in very um, overarching, deep, long-term terms about what he's been watching on the American political scene and how it causes him to recognize uh, that you know he's been watching the resist the president movement of Donald Trump uh, and then the endless effort focusing on trying to undo Donald Trump, undermine the 2016 election. And he said he was recognizing his anger at this moment is not just directed at, hey, you know, the Democrats tried to cheat. You had, you know, smartmatic machines that were generating, that they were manipulable, that you could change the outcome, that used algorithms instead of using vote counts. You had the Dominion voting machines in Antrim County, Michigan. We've been over that. You have all these examples. You have people giving affidavits 
affidavits writing out under penalty of perjury. I saw election officials counting the same batch of ballots for Biden, you know, repeatedly. I saw this. We, we all saw what happened on election night. We've seen so many examples. If you're paying attention, you understand there's election fraud. But what Gingrich is saying is his anger is more than just that, that the, the effort or just at that, at the apparent effort and the apparently successful effort of the Democrat Party and the supporters of the left to just force Biden on America. But really stepping back from that, it is the whole way in which the Democrat media mob, my term, not his, but the radical left, the Marxist left, has treated America and treated President Trump and treated his followers for the last four years. They have worked to undermine everything that President Trump tried to do. They have worked to falsely accuse him to try to get him kicked out of office through the Russia collusion hoax, through the impeachment for doing nothing wrong, through constant efforts to create scandals of some kind, through endless leaks to the media. He has been, not been permitted to function as a president. The left has been, un, he has been under the attack from the left from day one. And he talks, and he just talks about, you know, all of this pulled together. Um, the left resisting Trump for four years. And now we're into whatever we're in since the election cycle, seven weeks, the election day of November 3rd, seven weeks or eight weeks. We're now being told, you're out of line, shut up, stop complaining. Biden won, Trump lost, you just stop talking. You had four years of unrelenting resistance and it wasn't just to Trump, it is to the American people who chose Trump. And he's saying, for this reason, you cannot accept Joe Biden. I urge you to read it, very, very well written. I can't get to all the points, very well written. But I want to hit my last uh, topic for today because it's actually really important. It kind of ties into a lot of things about the show going forward. So I call this Pondering America Over Christmas. And, you know, obviously uh, Christmas is coming. Uh, it is this coming Friday. So uh, I wanted to say a few things about Christmas and the future and the show and, and what the job is of patriotic Americans. To start with, this country is the most extraordinary gift to humankind, to mankind, since the beginning of time, since the beginning of nation states. America was founded on these extraordinary ideas that, that are recounted in the Declaration of Independence, that are manifested in the, in the structure of government created in the Constitution. America was founded on the most extraordinary, unique ideas from the Judeo-Christian scriptures that man has rights from God. All men are equal. We have rights from God that simply are ours because we are alive, because we are here, and that we have the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That is the gift that America is to all of its citizens since the time of its founding and still is today. And I'll tell you something that got me off on this this morning. So early morning this morning, I mean, my husband and I were just sitting down to kind of think through the day a little bit. And one of my, a very good friend of mine called, she's a long time and very active Republican. She has worked for members of Congress. She's worked for members of the Texas legislature. And not just, I don't mean like at the front desk receptionist, I mean a, a actually in touch, regularly communicating directly with these 
individuals I'm talking about. She's a very, very strong Republican. And she called to say, she sounded kind of teary, so I was afraid something bad had happened. And I asked her what's up, and she just said, I'm never voting Republican again. And I, I, you know, I, I kind of knew what she meant, but she went on to say, I can't believe that I'm watching the Marxist, and she sees what the left is, like I do, like probably most of my listeners do. The Marxist left taking over America, stealing this election, and you can barely find any Republicans standing up. You can't, I mean, you can count them on one hand, the number of Republicans considering standing up for Donald Trump. And it isn't just personally for Trump. It is for the integrity of the election process and ultimately for the right of the American people to be self-governed. This is why this battle is so important. It's not just about R versus D or Trump versus Biden. It's about whether or not the entire founding idea of America, that we the people are the sovereign, that we govern ourselves, that we have a structure of government that lets us govern ourselves, that allows that, that allows us to elect our representatives. That unique, extraordinary structure is gone, is completely gone if we don't clear up election fraud. You can't, it's not enough to say, we'll go after it next time. It's not enough to say, well, you know, in the next four years under President Biden, you know, we can pass bills that demand that, you know, we don't have election fraud and we can push legislation in the state legislatures around this country and get them to say, oh, okay, you know, we're going to get rid of dominion and we're going to get rid of of, electronic voting and we're going to demand this and we're going to, I mean, whatever they can do. I hope they do all those things, no matter what happens. But friends, we're not going to have the very America of our founding if we don't get this right. And the next point to understand, I was saying how America is so unique in all world history. I actually mean that. You know, from the time of the beginning of nation states, we've had tribes conquering other tribes. We've had royalty, monarchies, who are just by virtue of their birth, their royal birth, who their ancestors happen to be, get to be in charge. We've had monarchies for centuries. Since, in fact, you'll talk about Christmas, since the time of Christ, the, the birth of Christ. We have had, and, and that, you know, and Christmas, by the way, I'm going to get to Christmas in a moment, but since the time of the birth of Jesus, you know, essentially 2,000 plus years ago, and even before that, up until the founding of America, we never had a country whose very identity, ideological, lawful, founding identity was rooted in these extraordinarily important ideas of the scriptures that man has rights from God, all of us equal, no royalty, no ruling elite class, no tribe, one tribe beats another tribe. No tribal, that's not, that's not American, we're not tribal. We are a nation where each individual has rights from God and the very purpose of the creation of this country is allow to allow a sovereign people to be self-governing. 
That's among the most basic, extraordinary things about America. Self-governance, meaning we elect our own government. We can remove people who pass laws we don't like. We can change the members of our House and our Senate at the state level and the federal level, and we can change our governors and our presidents, our county officials. All the power is supposed to be in the hands of the people. But if this election fraud is not completely outed, vetted, investigated, and exposed, we lose that. We will never have it again because the people who put this in place in this election cycle, it was a long time coming, a long time being cooked up, a long time being created as the election to steal not just the presidency, but steal the election process itself. That is the first point I ask you to ponder over Christmas. How important is it to get to the truth? Second point I ask you to ponder over Christmas. When I talk about America and its unique, extraordinary greatness, we have since the founding of America, it's just counted from 1776 with the Declaration of Independence, we have in this country over the centuries had develop a ruling elite class mindset among the rulers in Washington and at the state level. And frankly, you know, they say you can't fight city hall, city level, county level, state level. We've had that creeping, growing um, mindset that says among, among the, the uh, people who happen to get elected, you know, we really are the ruling class. We really do decide America's future. And what, you, what we were talking about in the first part of the show today, about this massive spending bill, about the Democrats blocking money, and frankly, the Republicans didn't do much to push, but the Democrat majority in the House blocking money, the COVID relief money, holding it up so that Trump wouldn't get credit, and then having, after the election, they think is over, but it's not, then putting it forth. But all of that game playing with the American people, all the massive spending bill, nothing the American, nothing like the American people want, or what they want to have happen in Washington. They don't want to have a massive 2,000 plus page bill, or whatever it was, 1,600 page bill, where no one who's elected ever sees it, until you know two hours before you have to vote yes or no this is the system has been corrupted it has resulted in a ruling class that simply thinks once we're in power we'll figure things out we have our ruling class you know, bill writers and negotiators come together come up with something that's what it is and you know what we don't really care what the american people think when donald trump ran for president in 2016 and, and to be really clear, I did not support him in 2016. I, I thought he was too brash. I thought he was, um, I, didn't, I didn't actually, at the beginning, his messages didn't resonate with me particularly well. My husband and I happened to support another candidate with, uh, you know, Ted Cruz, who is our senator from the great state of Texas. And, you know, we, he loves the Constitution. He's a good, solid Christian, you know, sounded good to us. We were for him and we still support him and hope he has a future somewhere in politics. But we didn't support uh, Donald Trump in 2016 because he seemed a little too overbearing. But this election cycle in 2020, 
looking back over the last four years, what Donald Trump was running on and what he did in the last four years was restore among the American people the idea coming from our very founding that you're supposed to be actually, we the people, self-governed. He restored that sense of self-governance among the American people, that sense that the American people have the right, have the right to be heard, to be listened to, and have the right to expect that their government looks out for their needs. That America first uh, line and make America great again. These were all brilliant slogans, brilliant thinking, to re-engage the American people in the process, whereas he said many times over his campaign and during the time he served as president, the American people were left behind by the ruling class, both parties, the ruling class that doesn't listen to them anymore. And that, you know, these peasants or whatever term you want to use, the American people ignored by the ruling elite, Donald Trump restored in them the notion that yes, America is worth defending, it's worth having borders, it's worth having a strong military, it's worth having national sovereignty, it's worth getting us out of bad trade deals with countries taking advantage of us, it's worth getting us out of international treaties and deals which treat America as though we are just a gigantic piggy bank who's never in charge of anything. Donald Trump restored so much of the vital American character and, and, and he didn't even do it in words that, that you know, some eloquent, uh, you know, pontificating intellectual would do. He spoke in common English, common man English, to the common man, the, the mother, the father, the worker, the people who realized, had realized for decades, Washington never listens to us. Our elected officials don't listen to us. And that's wrong. That's not okay in America anymore. Donald Trump ran on that and it was why there's such a fervent, fervent desire on the part of millions of his followers to protect him in this time when his victory in the 2020 election cycle is being stolen or there's the attempted theft of his victory. It's because he restored to them, not just telling them America first and telling them it's the job of the government to protect the American people, but actually taking steps to move us along that path with almost no help from the elected Republicans in the House or Senate. And frankly, it is the ruling elite in both parties in Washington who are pretty much okay with getting Trump out because he interferes with the whole setup in Washington that has established itself for decades, that has its ruling elite in the House and Senate, the massive federal bureaucracy that runs all sorts of pieces of America, the massive uh, entities, the massive segments of federal agencies from the EPA to the Labor Department to the Education Department to the Justice Department to the State Department, all these people in the big national club who are making decisions that seem to never take into account the idea that we're actually, the America of the founding calls on them to listen to the American people. This is what Donald Trump restored in his, in his campaign in 2016 and for the four years he served as president. And this is why 
why so many millions of his voters are still standing up for him. And is why, back to my friend's phone call this morning, who called to say, I mean, th this woman is, you know, queen GOP type person, you know, done so much for the party, so much, I, it's impossible to even tell you. And she said she's never voting Republican again because she can't see any Republicans or virtually any Republicans standing up for this president, which ultimately is standing up for the restoration of the idea of America. Donald Trump's campaign and presidency has been a massive step towards restoring the right idea of America. And that's what's on the ballot and that's why so many people are fighting. And I told you a few weeks ago, there is a brewing behind the scenes. There is an effort by some people, longtime, longtime conservative activists, longtime political activists, to create a new political party. An actual idea that says there really isn't, you know, in terms of the willingness to stand up, there really isn't a Republican versus Democrat party. They have a uniparty in Washington. They listen to each other. They ignore the people. And that party no longer is standing up for the ideas of America, the national security of America, the economic strength of America, the freedom of the American people. That uniparty is too locked into being the ruling elite. And so this idea of a third party is emerging, which, or I should state more precisely, a party which would like to eventually be the first party. Not a niggling third party to nip at the heels of Republican candidates and elected officials like the Libertarian Party has done. They have their virtues, they have their values they stand for, but they don't win elections. In fact, they cause elections to be lost by Republicans by splitting the conservative vote. Libertarians do this. But on the, the, for people who want the restoration of America, the idea of America to be restored, they're not finding virtually any voices in the Republican Party of today. And this election cycle is a massive litmus test for the elected officials in Washington, especially on the GOP side. Will you ever stand up? Do you understand that 75 or 80 million Americans voted for Trump and they voted because he is standing up for America, for them, for we the people, for self-governance? That's, that's why he's so strongly supportive. And these people, these Trump voters, are watching the GOP in Washington and saying, where are you? How could you abandon not just Trump, because they are abandoning Trump, but abandon the Trump voters, abandon ultimately the America of the founding, which is what Trump is trying to restore and what millions of his, his supporters want to find again. So I ask you over this Christmas time, to first of all, most importantly, honor and celebrate the true meaning of Christmas, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the reason for Christmas, to celebrate Jesus' birth, what it symbolizes, a, a message of hope for mankind, a, a, you know, the, the way, the truth, and the life, all the things that Jesus represents to Christians. That's what to celebrate over Christmas, the, the, coming of, the coming of Jesus and his birth in Bethlehem, you know, 2,000 plus years ago. That's the idea of Christmas and to celebrate, you know, that Emmanuel, God with us idea. Celebrate that, but also think over the next, you know, Christmas time and over the New Year holiday, 
what role should you play? How much does it matter to you if we hold on to the America of the founding? How much does it matter to you if we just surrender it? Does it matter? And if it matters to you, think of how you're going to get in the fight, how you're going to be in the fight to protect this country. It can mean going to Washington on January 6th to stand outside and wave signs and urge Republicans to challenge the electors. It can mean sending letters and phone calls to the United States Senate. You could, excuse me, to the United States Supreme Court. You can do that, go on their website. You can, you can send, you can leave phone messages. You can send them emails urging them to take these cases and seriously contemplate the cases before them. You can contract, contact your member of the U.S. House, your senators, and demand that they challenge the electors from these states. You can go to everylegalvote.com, do everything they tell you you can do on that, on that website. You can do something, but understand, America is going to be saved by the people who are willing to do something. Part of what I do is this show. I do lots of other things too, but I do this show because it's my way, it's what came to my experience, fell in my lap as a potential way to speak up for America. But I urge every one of you to do it. On the subject of this show, before I turn to why it matters to you, on the subject of this show, um, I am definitely going to be back, you know, going strong um, on Monday, January 4th. The I, the, I am taking the rest of the week off, going to enjoy Christmas with our friends and family taking the rest of the week off, and the next week is a little bit up in the air, the, the week between Christmas and New Year's, a lot of things going on then, may or may not be here, but I will be here January 4th and right back on track, and I cannot urge you strongly enough to be part of the battle every day. Check our website every day, americacanwetalk.org. We're we'll putting up little short blog posts, um, things you can check out there. Uh, go to our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, do all the things you know to do in social media. Please continue supporting this show by doing those things. And please think through at this Christmas time what you want to do, how much you want to do to preserve America of the founding. At our website, americacanwetalk.org, you can subscribe to our newsletter, hit subscribe, uh, get a little email, I'll add you to the list. We do a once a week newsletter, and you can also support this show. This show is actually funded entirely by listeners. And uh, thanks to this lovely studio I have to use, uh, you know, I, I need to, I mean, which I'm extremely grateful for. I love being here on Real News PR, uh, Real News Communication Network. I love doing this studio. Uh, but I need your support. So if you can, if you are able to help support me and keep me doing this show, I'd so appreciate that. Again, americacanwetalk.org. Hit the donate button. You can one-time donation or recurring donation. Either one is gratefully accepted, uh, which is goes entirely to keeping this show on air and expanding. And speaking of expanding, last thing before I get to why it matters to you. We are expanding our show to Rumble. Please go to Rumble. Get an account there. Follow me on Rumble. We're going to Parlor. We're still on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And please, there, do all the things you know how to do. Like, share, support, all the things you can do to help this show continue to grow its momentum. And I'll close out before I go why it matters to you by saying I hope you all have a Merry Christmas. I hope you had a lovely Hanukkah. Have a Merry Christmas. And whether I see you next week or not until January 4th, stay in the fight for America. It's what the whole point of, of being an American patriot at this time is understanding America as founded is under threat and patriots like you and patriots like all of us are needed. Now I'll tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. 
So we started today talking about the spending blowout, uh, Peasants Get Pittance, a 5,600-page bill, first available to be read by Congress at 2 p.m. on December 21st. Yesterday, voted on and approved by both House and Senate by 1.43 a.m. this morning. This is exactly how Obamacare was crammed down. Pass it to find out what's in it. Not a standalone COVID relief bill, but combined with wildly profligate spending, billions in foreign aid, $600 in various forms to Americans in need, and Americans need primarily created by government's own COVID overreactions. Only six senators had the courage to vote no. Senator Cruz gets hit by Houston media conflating wasteful non-COVID spending with COVID relief claiming he voted no on COVID relief. This kind of ruling class slap down the American people is exactly what elected Trump and rewarded Trump with a landslide re-election. This is yet another reason why American patriots remain committed to stop the steal. And on the election battle update, why it matters to you, Georgia State Senate finds election results untrustworthy, systemic failures, Fulton County, bad actors, recommend certification results be rescinded, Trump campaign lawsuit against Pennsylvania at the Supreme Court demands correction of three specific documented forms of fraud. No question as to standing. Will the Supreme Court hide behind it's too late or will they face the merits? Trump meeting with, a House, uh, with House members at the White House willing to object to electoral college vote. Newt Gingrich's timely op-ed may give backbone to House members. That was one they meant to say about Newt Gingrich's thing. It'll encourage some people to recognize someone of his stature is agreeing that we need to speak up. Mark Levin lambasts a complete collapse of the judiciary. I didn't even get to this story, but not upholding law or justice. The Supreme Court has descended into a purely political institution. The fight will continue. America is hanging by a thread. And the last one, ponder America over Christmas and why it matters to you. Christmas is always a holy time, a family time, a joyful time, a time for peace of mind. In 2020, it needs also to be a time for pondering America's link to Christmas. America's founding sprang from the Bible's teachings. This is what is meant by America's Judeo-Christian foundation. America can rightly be viewed as God-given, God-ordained, but it is on the cusp of being lost. Donald Trump is plainly imperfect as a messenger, as we all are, but his message is love for and a desire to preserve America's uniqueness as compared with the ruling class who just crammed down America's throat an irresponsible spending colossus in a manner that mocks representative democracy. Americans have a heritage of God-given rights and freedom. What are we willing to do to be sure it does not perish from the earth? And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-